Welcome to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to The Female Red Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today we have with us Trisha Ben. Trisha is North Star's Managing Director in the United States, and she embodies the role of a leader. Trisha brings 20 years of proven success in developing strong brands through thought leadership and diversified market research strategies and building profitable, effective businesses. Trisha is a true believer in the power of being a great business partner, building exceptional collaborative teams, and the importance of competitive opportunity and strategic insights consulting. She puts these ideals into practice every day as she leads her team in developing disruptive, insights and offerings for client partners across the country. So thank you very much, Tricia, for being with us. I'm so thrilled to have you on the Female Red Zone. Thank you so much, Maribeth. I'm thrilled to be here too. So tell us a little bit about how you got, so you're managing director at a firm. It's a, it's a C-suite position. Tell us how you got to this position um, and sort of what your uh, career trajectory has been. So, ironically, I had absolutely no clue what I would end up doing, <laughs> um, and and I completely devastated my mom, who was sort of a, a groundbreaker um, and, and became a veterinarian after she had me, which in the early 70s was, um, late 60s, early 70s was, you know, uh, quite um, quite challenging. Uh, she actually did not admit that she had a child, which was the first step toward getting into the veterinary program. Um, okay. And so when I told her in high school that I was dropping my sciences, um, I, I was also the eldest of her children, and she literally thought my life was over. So was hers, because I would be dependent on her for the rest of my life. Um, but what happened was I, I went into university. I loved sociology and anthropology, and I did um, both my degrees in sociology and anthropology. Um, I loved, I, I took, I actually did end up taking all my science courses, um, but I just loved trying to figure out why people do what they do. Um, why, why the groups of people do what they do, not the individual um, chemistry um, of, a, of one person. Um, it's fascinating, you know, the, the different social things that happen in society. So uh, I did both my degrees in, in sociology and anthropology and went on uh, to um, start programming in the market research industry. And now they call them informational interviews. But back in those days, I went to the library, got out the yellow pages, and started calling, um, saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a graduate student. I'm graduating soon. Could I come and talk to somebody who might be in the position to hire some, at some point? Um, and uh, so I started out in uh, programming and data and quickly moved over to public affairs consulting. And that was in the um, Toronto market. I went to um, and did all kinds of research. Um, and, and honestly, it was shocking to see how little understanding there was of how applicable sociology and anthropology are to market research. Um, so I very quickly moved on, you know, within let's say, two years uh, of being in the industry, I was in the back rooms of, you know, the political leaders um, for, the, for the province going over public policy and all kinds of really amazing, interesting things. Everything from same-sex rights to flu shots that were being provided by the government, political polling, syndicated research, uh, and obviously private sector work as well. 
And then I went on to uh, Ottawa, where a national work is done, got that exposure. Then I moved to Washington, D.C. as Vice President of Public Affairs for its both. Um, and again, that was my first experience with leading a team. So I worked with the president there to um, really unify that team. It had been purchased by Ipsos, and there were challenges. And, and, and it was just such a great learning experience in terms of how to get infrastructure lined up against individual aims and you know the company goals and objectives. Um, so a great, great experience. And then I was recruited to Rogers, which is one of the largest employers in Canada, and built a very disruptive unit, um, a client-side market research consulting group. So we actually worked for external clients, being in a client-side company. A really interesting model and one that we built to several million dollars. And then I came over to North Star a couple of years ago, and I'm building uh, the U.S. practice extensively right now. So that's through the whole trajectory of my steps through uh, through my career. Well, very interesting. So a couple quick questions as it relates to what you just said. So your mother felt that because you weren't in science that you wouldn't be successful? Absolutely. Yes, she was heartbroken. I think for her, I, I always say I come from, um, you know, sort of, uh, I'm the third generation of crazy women. Um, so my grandmother, uh, she built her own business and had her own money and made her own decisions and um, and was just this phenomenal, amazing force in my life. Uh, she was my best friend uh, when I was, you know, child growing up. Um, and then my mom, uh, she, as I said, she <laughs> beat all the odds. She was one of those people that knew from when she was, I think it was four years old, she knew she needed to be a veterinarian, and thankfully, after she had me at just 20 years old, um, she went ahead and pursued that and did it. And I think she was one of maybe 15% of women in her class at, at that point. Uh, so it was a really, you know, uh, early stages of, of that, um, the development of women in the veterinary sciences. Now, the college that she went to, uh, the percentage of women is 85-90% women. It's changed considerably, and it's one of the hardest programs in the country to get into. Um, and, and women, obviously, are excelling uh, phenomenally. But uh, yeah, my mom had very little confidence in social science and um, you know, not going into one of those fields that were, I guess, really more traditionally male-dominated. Um, interestingly enough, I had no idea of the female-male division of labor. Uh, I was very just ignorant of that. I had no idea that there was this huge divide between what was considered a male job and a female job, um, which is why when I was in university, I actually took a minor in women's studies just to find out what is this all about. I don't understand. <laughs> well, right, and the fact that your mother didn't tell anyone uh, in order to get into veterinary veterinarian school that she <laughs> that she had a baby. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, I, you know, 25 years ago, there's, well, there's a woman that's in financial services day. 25 years ago, she started in financial services, um, large firm, um, one of the largest firms in the country. And she said that when she started at the firm, she had a one-year-old and she did not tell anyone. She goes, it was a couple years before anybody in that office. And they were all men even knew that she had a child. She didn't talk about it. She didn't discuss it. Why? Because it, it, it would impact her. I mean, that was the, obviously that was the thought with your mother and that was the thought with her. Are we in a different place today, do you think? 
I think we're in a much different place, although the statistics show that you know, very traditionally male-dominated industries are still really challenging for women, and the percentages of women in them is very, very limited. But I think overall we're in different places. I don't think it's unusual for there to be um, still some challenges for women, absolutely. But the idea of being able to have a family I think is um, it's not quite as bad as it was. I guess that's the best way to put it. Right. Well, and do you think that in your career that being a woman has has it impacted you negatively throughout your you know trajectory up to where you're at today? You know, it's so interesting. And that's a question that over the last few decades. So, so my career, I've been in, in the business twenty years. You wouldn't touch that question with a ten foot you know, because how do you know, and how can you say, and and what perception, you say and how yes, do you perception. point the finger at, and then and then and then you've had yeah exactly all the perception of negativity, and then and then you have had incredible men. If you're if you're a senior level woman, you've had incredible male mentors. There's just no way that you haven't unless you're in a very very unique situation, um, and and. You know, that is true of me as well. I've had incredible male mentors. Um, very, very few, you know, I've only reported uh, through to a woman once in my career. Um, uh, so, so that question is so challenging. And I guess for me, being a market researcher, the, the, the case study of one has also been such a challenging thing. So I have to say that the, the, the C-suite conference that I spoke at recently, and I'm telling you, Maribeth, is the first time I've ever spoken about being an executive woman. And even that was unnerving for me um, because, you know, you're kind of going out on a limb to say, well, this is my experience. Um, and, I'll have, and so being a market researcher uh, by training, I had to go through every report I could possibly get my hands on. So, you know, what's really going on? Because you have your case study of one. You have the people that you have um, a, a trusting relationship with that you can speak to about different things. Uh, but, but what's really going on? So for me, I don't know personally. I mean, you know, I know my little my little experiences here and there. But, but what I can say is I was so empowered um, to, to step up when I started going through all of the reports that are out there. Um, you know, for the last decade, couple of decades, really, it was women aren't getting as well educated. Um, you know, they, by the time they come through the pipeline, it'll change completely. We're on that track. And when you go through all of the, the reports that are available on women in the workplace and executive women in the workplace, we're not on the right track. <laughs> so, right. so. You know, I don't know about personally, and nobody knows really truly about personally. We know how challenging it is to look at, you know, what are the factors involved in getting a promotion or not getting a promotion, all that kind of thing. But what we can say without a doubt is systemically there is, um, there is a, a, a sexism that's not promoting women as much as it's promoting men. Um, it, the, the, the gap is not... Um, decreasing as we might expect with women having, you know, equal or more education since the 80s. Um, so, so it's that, you know, the, looking at those hard, cold, hard numbers that really makes you think, okay, <laughs> this is something we need to address. We have the next generation of men and women um, coming up, and 
we need to make sure that we're embracing and supporting how we can work together to really build the most effective, um, profitable, exciting uh, work environments and, uh, and, and businesses. So that's where I'm kind of landing on that now. Well, I, th- I think that it's true. It's got to be working together. It's not, I don't think it's a, a woman's problem or it's a men's problem. You know, it's, it's sort of our problem, our issue mm-hmm. in general. And one of the things that I see, and I, I'm still not sure quite how I feel about it, but in the financial services industry, particularly, uh, but other industries as well, there's a lot of female only conferences and they'll, you know, bring the women in. There's fantastic conferences. I just spoke at one last week and just absolutely phenomenal conferences. But, and so I think that there's some value there to, to really, you know, have women come together and be able to, to learn and, and talk and things like that. Um, but isn't the issue maybe more bringing everybody together as opposed to splitting them up? There's no male only conferences there. You know, there's only the female yeah. conferences. And so I wonder, you know, maybe there should be more um, conferences that sort of try to bring the two together or more conversations about that. Because I think we look at it like, well, the problem is the men or the problem is the women, but the problem really is us coming together on this. Don't you think? I really think it is about how we come together and how we appreciate diversity in general. Um, and I know you would have seen this a million times. We all have in business. It's very comforting. I, I think it was in, you know, we saw it saved during the recession. Um, what do you do when stressed? You rely on someone that you think looks like you, thinks like you, talks like you, and will do exactly what you would do in their place. <laughs> um, and the fact of the matter is that's not how we build strong, um, you know, lasting um, economic success. Uh, it's about how we bring that diversity together to get the, the, the best possible solutions out of our teams and, and develop um, in ways that we wouldn't think of as leaders. Um, so I think it, it is absolutely about how we come together. And, and the whole notion of, um, you know, when we look at the statistics, women are four times more likely to think that their gender is going to impact them negatively in their workplace. And, and while males believe that gender equality or, or equal opportunity for genders is important, very few, I think it's 12%, um, and I'm, I'm referring to the McKinsey um, lean-in study with Cheryl, that Cheryl Sandberg uh, works on, um, believe that there is gender inequality, that, that there are things that will hold women back in the workplace. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, for the most part, I don't think it's intentional. I think it's, you know, just not being able to see it. And that's the biggest part of how do you address an issue. It's, it's identifying when and how it's happening. And, and it's not just men that fall into those biases and, and challenges. Women do as well. Uh, we all have those things. So how do we um, support really coming together and, and, and understanding and creating that environment where people can, can ask questions? At, at the conference after I spoke, uh, a man asked me out uh, for, for dinner, and, um, and we spoke about women in, in the executive roles. And he said, you know, like, and he was really, you know, trying to grasp how this works, you know, in the reality, not, not theoretically, but how, how do we, in the reality, create an environment where women executives can excel and, and get to those top levels? And, and he said, you know, okay, I just got to start here. When, when your children get hurt, who do they run to? And I said, honestly, 
They run to my husband, and I don't feel badly about that. You know, they're smart. I'm really proud of how smart they are. In my husband's family, when you're sick, you're spoiled rotten, and it's lovely. I mean, I've never, uh, you know, it's, it's the most wonderful experience that you get homemade soup, you get totally pampered. Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. In my family, I was telling you, Mary Beth, um, I come from a horse family. You fall off the horse, you get right back up. As long as nothing, you know, really, really bad, you're fine. <laughs> um, so, um, and it, it, you know, it was the way we started this conversation where he was really trying to wrap his head around it, and we had just a very open conversation. And I think creating those environments where men can ask those kinds of questions where they can't, they can't ask those kinds of questions around the women that they they you know live with and work with because it, it could they might not react in a way that feels safe you know um, but right. to create those environments where you can honestly ask questions well what's this like well how do you make it work you know and and so the 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 whole meal we oscillated back and forth between research that I was citing that says you know this is systemic. It's not my one experience or, you know, Maribeth's one experience or, you know, some other person's one experience. We're looking at data that is systemic. So take the personal out of it. The numbers don't add up. It's not acceptable. Um, and then and then going back to the personal, well, how do you make this work? You know, how does, how does this happen? Um, and uh, so I, I, coming back to your point, I think creating environments where you can have an honest exchange and support that diversity. And, and certainly gender is one diversity. Um, you know, uh, uh, racial minority is, is another um, diversity that we need to be building into our teams and so on and so forth. So I think those are important things we need to be focused on. So diversity, maybe having a diversity conference as opposed to having a conference with only the minorities in the in the group that's trying to be better diversified. So yeah, it, it, you know, the thing that I think is, I think it's about awareness and conversations. And that's exactly what you basically just said is that, you know, it's about bringing it to people's attention that this is not one person's issue. This is a system, systemic issue. But having being able to have conversations about it, which I think, um, I, I mean, what you just said was so valuable because that gentleman could not ask somebody that he worked with the same questions no. that he was going to ask you, someone he really didn't know very well, um, but so very valuable um, for him. But we don't get a chance to mm -hmm. ask those questions. Well, how does it how does it feel? Well, does that really happen? Well, wait a minute. Um, and it's about the yes. awareness. Interesting. Yes, and 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 if we take the awareness piece the other way, um, on my way to the conference, I sat beside a, a man uh, that you know we ended up striking up this really you know fully faceted conversation, talking about everything from raising our daughters. We both have only daughters. Um, through to our careers and so on, and the reason I was going out west to, to speak about um, being an executive woman on that on the panel with um, Marlene Williams from Watermark, and um, and it was so fascinating because he is in R and D and um, and he has daughters and he was talking about how strong they are and independent and they've raised them to ask all these questions and and so later on in the conversation I told him the reason that I was going out west and said all that's just really interesting and I said yes you know it's really interesting and, and it's something I feel now when I look at all the numbers I have to speak about because and I looked at him and I said you know we have to tell our daughters that only 5% of CEOs are women and so that's what their chances look like right now and the pipeline's not improving right now so 
you know, so we really want to look at them and say that. And his face was just, he was just devastated. <laughs> um, you know, because that's the truth. I've been thinking, um, you know, maybe I should write a book about the, the financial, um, you know, birds of deep conversation with your daughter. Like, here are the cold, hard truth facts. You know, um, <laughs> this is what we need to be uh, thinking about. My daughter's constantly, she's 10 years old and constantly talking about the next business she's going to start. And, um, and, and I'm just, I'm marveling at her complete and total freedom to just imagine anything um, without any restriction. Um, and that's, that's what I think we all want for our, our, our daughters and our sons, obviously, um, is that freedom to dream and imagine and, and grow into and be what they want to be without um, systemic restrictions. And um, and so anyway, I'm, I'm hopeful that by us working together that we will be able to create that and also come up with very practical solutions. You know, it's not um, it's not some magic sauce or um, you know something that's you know a plug-in to your brain or something. I, I think just very practical, simple solutions. I remember reading a study um, that was done out of one of, the, uh, you know, one of the big colleges, and it said that essentially they, they studied women in medicine, and as residents, they would um, take answers to questions when they were doing their round, and you would be marked based on how many answers you gave correctly. And what they found was the women weren't performing as well as the men. And what they did was, rather than say, you know, this is a male-female problem, what's going on, you know, whatever, they just used a very practical tool. What they did was they went and they did their rounds, and they asked in order questions of each person. And the women performed at least as well, if not better, um, when they were specifically asked. Um, and, you know, and, and as opposed to having to jump in with the right answer before somebody else did. And so when you think about that with your teams and how you create a situation where everybody can be heard, because, you know, again, women will tend in that situation, what they found in the study is they tend in that situation not to jump in, but they knew the answer. And so with our teams, how do we create the opportunity that every voice can be heard? Because, you know, it's not just women that won't say something, you know, to jump in ahead of somebody else to say their answer. Um, so how do we implement those kinds of just very practical tools that we know from the research that's available uh, work <laughs> to draw out the best? Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's having awareness of those of those different types of things to be able to do that because there are no magical solutions. And the idea isn't to talk about the problem. The idea is to talk about what are the solutions. You know, what are we going to do about this situation that continues? Because um, when when we all raise our, our, our daughters, we raise them with hopes mm -hmm. that they're going to be as successful as they want to be. Um, and mm -hmm. the problem is somewhere along the line, right after they get out of college, that starts to change. And so there, there has to be solutions. It's not really just talking about the problem. And I, and I like the fact that people are starting to understand that women and men think differently, they act differently, they talk differently, and they will interact differently. And we've got to have situations that accounts for that. Um, otherwise, we're just going to have a male-dominated society in our in corporate America. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think, I think you know, so when we, when we talk about identifying the problem as the first stage, I think... You know, we look at um, the World Economic Forum. There's a 2013 gender gap index study that's done across the whole world. 
and we say, okay, wait a second, it's not okay for us in the U.S. to be number 23 in the world in terms of the gap between men and women in the country. Right. Um, you know, just that's unacceptable. So we're going to make changes. <laughs> um, and then what are those changes? They're, you know, the very practical uh, things that can be done to ensure. And, and the, the thing that I love about this is that um, Ironically, we use the term gender to mean male or female. That's really sex. <laughs> Heaven forbid we use that word. <laughs> right. um, gender, yeah, gender is a sociological concept. It means that we have male, female, you know, sort of a characteristic or, or stereotypical male, female traits. And truly, we're a blend. Every single person is a blend of male and female traits, you know, from caregiving to, you know, the hunter-gatherer, all of those different kinds of things. So, you know, the idea that we're um, respecting the fact that everybody is an individual and we're trying to draw out the best in them um, and using tools that certainly doesn't put anyone else at a disadvantage, <laughs> but creates that opportunity to draw out the best in everyone. So in your work, you have uh, built collaborative teams, and that's kind of what we're talking about today. How, what are some of the ways to build a collaborative team or some of the things that you've done where you've seen some successes um, in your career doing that? Yeah, I think for me, my, my mom was truly my role model because uh, from a very young age, she became a, a leader in her organization and ran a facility and a team that uh, maintained that facility. And so she would talk to me all the time about different things they were doing and, and how to create engagement and so on. So I think first and foremost for me is the idea of the value of every team member. So this is a huge part of um, the way that my management style works, where every single person on the team is, supposed, is um, expected to be a champion and a supporter. And so the, the idea being that everyone is heard, everyone has an opportunity to lead, um, everybody has an opportunity to support and understand what the other person is going through in terms of supporting them and so on. So it creates this um, incredible, from, from a business perspective, it creates an incredible opportunity where you get the best um, out of every single teammate because they're all expected to champion. No one's sitting around telling, you know, waiting for someone to tell them what to do at any level. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and so they're getting that opportunity to lean in, take risks, um, um, really champion something that they believe in or are excited about or are owning at that point in time. Uh, so, so they're getting that, they're, which means they're growing very, very quickly. Um, we're getting maximum efficiencies and productivity. Um, you know, lots of lots of great business things. From a team perspective, it means that everybody is appreciating and valuing the different pieces that everyone brings to a particular um, team. So, and the humility that goes with that, right? So, uh, as as leaders, we know if we don't have the right support. We don't look very good when we go out and, and produce on, on whatever it is that it, we, you know, had done. Um, if uh, and then the other way around, if we don't prepare uh, all the work that's been done to uh, to have a club give a speech, for example, um, can fall flat. So there's there's this sort of um, humility and appreciation and understanding of the the the. the difficulties associated with both the support and championing roles in 
in everything that the team is doing. So I think that, and then and then as a leader, ensuring that you're supporting the appreciation of the different roles in the team. So um, another piece of that is identifying the different ways that people approach problems and challenges and, and come up with solutions. So for example, on my last team, I had someone who could very easily fall into that category of the, the naysayer. You know, when, when a new idea came up, he would be the first person to say, well, this might not work, that might not work, etc. And so as a, as a manager, my job was to make sure that the rest of the team understood the incredible value that perspective was bringing to the team. So because I've always had this sort of disruptive, cutting-edge approach to the market research industry and insight, a lot of my team was that sort of forward thinking, pushing, um, you know, wanting to try new things, but having that one person who would say, wait a second, this is a problem, wait a second, that's a problem, created a ton of value because then we could reevaluate, okay, <laughs> should we really be throwing the baby out with bathwater? Maybe not. You know, there's pieces of this that make sense and we need to adjust and calibrate. Um, so, you know, again, it's a, it's a, in, in every team, I think, will have, um, you know, a different composition, but the leader's job, the manager's job, I believe, is to ensure that everybody understands the value that those different types of uh, thinking processes and approaches can create value for a successful team. Very interesting, because I think that that's, you know, everybody talks about collaboration, but how do we actually do it? That's the, that's again, that's the key. So one, one question, one more question for you. Um, what is the riskiest thing that you've done in your career thus far? And how did it work out? Interesting. There are a couple times that stand out and, and you know, they may not seem like a big thing, but kind of were at the time and, and made me understand that I had um, places to go and a lot more growth uh, ahead. Um, this will sound silly, but probably the first one was very early on in my career. Um, I worked on a public affairs team that the senior people were men, and we had some junior women, and I was very junior. And one of my clients liked to golf, and um, and I had never golfed. I was not a golfer, <laughs> uh, but I was athletic, and, um, and, and the client wanted to go golfing, and the practice was that the men, the senior men would take out the client um, to, to go golfing if they wanted to golf, and the women would stay in the office. And I remember thinking, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely no way. So I learned how to golf, and I was not a great golfer, but I could pass to be not horrible and, you know, really hold things up. And um, and and I said, you know, I'm taking my clients golfing. And, and it was a bit risky because, you know, I didn't really have permission. There was no... Um, precedent for anyone at my level to take clients out golfing, um, but I did it, and um, and and there was also just the risk of you know embarrassing myself and and um, <laughs> my client not enjoying the experience because you know if you hold up a game and all of that. <laughs> right. um, but it was a wonderful experience. I had an absolutely uh, you know the classic scenario of great client relationship building. Um, out, you know, golfing with this client. I ended up working with them for 15 years, um, and the only reason I don't work with them still is because I moved. You know, um, I'm I'm down in New York, and um, and uh, this is a Canadian client uh, with my old business. Um, but uh, but it was absolutely wonderful, and it turned out the senior 
decision maker in, in that client group was even worse at golfing than me. So <laughs> we actually had it. <laughs> it was, and he, but he loved it. So it was, it was uh, fantastic. We had a great time. Um, and then, so, so that was kind of, um, you know, a fun one. And, and, and actually just a few months ago, I was on the train and I heard a woman talking about a golf outing that only the men in the office were invited to. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. It was like I was flashing back 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, that's certainly an example where it just doesn't make sense. If somebody wants to golf, it doesn't matter whether they're male or female, they should be going out and golfing um, if there's a, a company event. That's a good practical tip. Well, um, I think that's risky on so many levels. That's awesome. I, I think it's awesome that you did yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it's just, a, and, and, you know, I think, um, I think, Women, you know, uh, that the the whole trail of women who've kind of broken ground. There's those like fun little stories where you know, <laughs> my good, you know, my goodness, I'm gonna learn how to golf all the out there, you know, and through to like the really big, you know, serious things in their career. I think the big jump for me was when I went from um, Ottawa to Washington D.C. as VP Public Affairs, and it was risky because. Um, I was the youngest vice president that Ipsos had had at that point. Um, so it was a big job. It was a big responsibility. They had a full, um, a full-scale staff mutiny. Uh, half the staff had walked out one day, um, and they called me and said, "Hey, Trisha, um, oh, I'd like to go down and fix this up." And uh, so, so uh, it was very risky. And I had people that I very much trusted uh, say to me, you know, look, this is just not a good idea. It's not going to, you know, it's not, it's not a good environment. not going to be great for you to walk into. And, um, and it turned out to be an incredible experience because, I, I, because it was such a, such a challenging situation, uh, I sort of have free reign to do things that I believed in and um, and really learn about being in that leadership role, how to interview people and get the right kind of people that would jump in and fit um, from, a, from a team culture perspective and from a skill set perspective, um, and then how to create processes where the team could work. A lot of challenges um, happen, especially in the market research industry. Uh, around timing and and uh, there you know we always joke about there being plan A B C D E <laughs> keep going because there's so many things that can go wrong in a in an insight program and the smallest thing has the largest ramifications so um, you know how do you get those people that can be flexible that can really think about what they're doing and deliver um, you know those disruptive insights that that help our clients move forward. And so, you know, that was really the beginning of it for me and, and, and a huge opportunity. And then when I went over to Rogers again, it was, a, a, again, a big uh, risk. I, I went over. They had no research function. And, um, and from that, I was able to um, build a revenue-generating business on a client-side research team. And anybody knows that usually a research team on a client-side company of a couple billion plus um, is a very large cost center, and and I created a revenue generating center, which which was you know incredibly disruptive and, and challenging in the market, and um, and but but again that challenge and doing something different and looking at insights in a different way 
meant that not only did we create an alternative uh, revenue generating stream within a business that was very challenged, the media business, you know, obviously advertising, print advertising was uh, decreasing rapidly, um, and they needed alternative revenue streams, um, but also just, um, it, you know, it, it allowed me the opportunity to um, build financial success that, that created space for me to do different things with my team and, and learn and develop and build um, the kind of processes that I use to, to build effective teams. I think any movement is always risky, and you've had you've had a lot of movement um, going from different places and different countries, and yeah, very very interesting. <laughs> yeah, one, one might argue this one was the most challenging. I don't know, moving from the uh, the Canadian market back to the U.S. market to to build um, a global, you know, the U.S. portion of a global insight uh, business. But as you could probably tell, I do love challenges, and um, you know, the idea of you know how how we can solve great challenges uh, with the right kind of insights when you know everybody is just inundated with data. <laughs> now now we have big data. Um, you know it's it's uh, it's really um, been a, a great challenge and and one that I think um, I, I, again my my I'm crediting my mom. My father was incredible too and had me driving tractor when I was five years old. So I think that whole notion that you can do anything. Well that sounds um, safe. In, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Actually um, when I had my first child, my husband um, and I went to visit my father so that, you know, we could visit and um, my father said, Oh great, because every time I visit him he has me do whatever he's doing and I can't wait. You know, we do we do things that are, you know, digital <laughs> and we talk about different things and um but my father's a contractor and so he, he does like things that amount to something you know and uh physical and so he said oh great i i need to go up to the the conservation area i'm going to level their um their great big laneway today did you want to come and do that i said great let's go <laughs> my husband is you know being a good sport and he has the baby in his arms and get into my father's enormous tractor and I'm driving, of course, and my father, <laughs> my father's instructing me as he has since I was five years old with a tractor. And he says, okay, over, over a little, over a little. And so literally he had me driving within a couple of inches of a six-foot ditch. Oh. And my husband finally said, after about five minutes of this, and now, you know, the, the, the couple of feet went down to a couple of inches, and he said, please Stop the tractor now. I need to get out of here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, you know, please, please let me out. Um, so, so I think that is incredible. And actually the role that men play with their daughters in helping them to understand how capable they are is, cannot be understated. There's tons of research that shows that. So for men, the, the impact they have with their daughters is, is tremendous. Um, with my mom, and, and I still find this today, um, my mom would say, go for it, go ahead, go do it, you know, and, and I still find myself, okay, uh, yes, but, you know, uh, you know, Maribeth, you, 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 Trisha, do you want to do this interview? Absolutely, great, and then I think, okay, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? <laughs> what, do I, what, do I need, what do I need to have ready, because i got to do it now, I said I was going to do it, you know. Well, I think the biggest the biggest opportunities come from challenges, and if we don't decide that we're going to take take on challenges, I mean, just do it, just go for it. And I think that that's probably one of the most important things that you've sort of carried through this entire interview is that 
um, the biggest opportunities do come from challenges. And, and I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. It's been absolutely amazing. And I hopeful, um, hopeful that our listeners have loved it as much as I have. And um, thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Tricia. Thank you so much, Mayor Beth, and thank you so much for doing this, these conversations, um, and I hope everyone goes on and listens to all of the interviews. Um, they're just absolutely phenomenal and, and incredibly practical as well in terms of things that we can all be working on and doing. Well, thank you so much. And from the Female Red Zone, this is Mary Beth Kuzmeski. Thanks for listening to The Female Red Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.